y'all. Welcome to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the show where I invite people into the blog cabin to chat about life. I'm Melissa, your host. Today, we're chatting about mental health. I created a panel consisting of Melissa Harold, who is a licensed therapist, and she was actually on the very first episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin, the podcast. Linda Wynn, who was on episode three, she's a food blogger and photographer. Then I also had Cammie Kennedy on it. And Cammie, as you may remember, is one of the people behind the whole um, Chats in the Blog Cabin even coming about. She was on episode 19. And then two of my three girls, they were on episode 25. And we're chatting about mental health and why it is important to chat about mental health. There's such a stigma in the United States that mental health shouldn't be talked about. Mental wellness should not be one of the the key things that people focus on. But as Melissa Harrell puts it and Cammie Kennedy put it during the conversation, the the brain runs all the whole body. So if you're not mentally well, then your body suffers physically, not only physically, emotionally, and psychologically. So I really hope you tune into this chat and you learn a lot. Because honestly, I learned so much just chatting with these women. You know what I need you to do right now? That's right. Start listening. Hi, guys. Welcome to another edition of Chats from the Blog Cabin. And today we're talking about mental health. And we're trying to erase the stigma around mental health. So I have a distinguished panel with me. Um, guys, if you wouldn't mind mute when you're not talking because that way it'll help on the feedback. Um, so we'll start with Maddie. You want to start first since you're right next to me? Yeah, sure. Just my name or yeah, tell us all about. Hi everyone, my name is Madeline and I'm really excited to be a part of this panel today where we're going to talk about some of uh, our day-to-day experiences suffering from mental, several different mental illnesses, and just bringing awareness about the stigma behind it. So, Okay, Melissa? Hi, everyone. I'm Melissa Harrell, and I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor, and I have 20 years of experience in the field. My real passion, though, is to promote uh, uh, mental wellness so that everyone understands that we all have mental wellness and that it's not just in these little boxes. Um, So I hope tonight that we'll be able to help you find some ways to just bring, especially in this pandemic, some positive things into your life and also assist you if maybe you're in need of um, linking to other services. Cami. Hi, my name is Cami Kennedy. I am a life coach for recovering perfectionists and high achievers. So I work with people who are very hard on themselves, very judgmental, uh, suffer from procrastination, perfectionism, wanting to do things perfectly in action. Um, so that is kind of my niche. And my vision here is to be able to support people. You know, I help people get to their next level, but to make sure that they're making the right mental health choices in terms of who to be working with, where to seek help, and to know that seeking help and support is okay. Linda? That's so funny. You're listing, Cammy. you're listing all the 
things that you're working with. And I'm like, oh, I am a perfectionist. I do procrastinate. I am hard on myself. <laughs> I'm really judgmental of myself. Um, I am a food blogger and photographer. Um, I'm not sure what compelled Melissa to invite me to this chat about mental health, but it's something I feel strongly about. And I try to share my mental, a little bit of my mental health um, statuses through my blogging, even though I mostly blog about food and travel. Um, I think it's important to normalize um, anxiety, not normalize it in the sense that it's something that we should just accept, but mm. so that we know that everybody is is struggling in their own way, um, even behind perfectly curated uh, images, which is what I post. <laughs> That's it. Okay, Michaela. Hi, I'm Michaela. Um, I'm a middle child, so I have a lot of um, mental <laughs> stuff going on. But um, I'm a fourth year student at the University of North Carolina Greensboro, and I just want, kind of wanted to come on here and talk about um, mental illness within the college community. And actually, I want to give Michaela credit because she was the one that came up and said, Mama, can you please have this conversation? If you don't know, Maddie and Michaela, those that are, are new to are my older and middle daughters. Gracie did not want to be on this panel. She's like, I don't want to talk about it. But um, Michaela was actually the one that came up and said, mom, we need to talk about this. And they're really strong about on social media, on Instagram, promoting mental health, especially, especially in their stories. So it's very important. Um, so let's first talk about some of the things we can do to help with the self-care for our mental health, to take care of ourselves. So does anybody want to throw out some suggestions? I'll go. Okay. So um, I journal. Um, I've been a lifelong journaler, and it has helped me my entire life with um, basically clearing my mind and also processing anything that I'm going through. Um, the act of translating your feelings into words and also seeing them contained into a page helps you kind of digest your work. I mean, your work, your, see, I'm always thinking about work, <laughs> digest your anxiety. Um, it's, it, when you don't write it down, it just feels like this huge cloud hanging over your head that has like endless bounds, but seeing it contained in a page is also like a nice little um, reminder that you can use all the words you can and eventually you'll stop running. Like you'll, you'll start repeating yourself. Um, so I really swear by journaling. Linda, that's such a great tool. I, I use that myself personally and also advocate for that when my clients feel comfortable doing that. I think one of the things about self-care as a, as a culture, we've got to step away from that it's not a spa day necessarily or it's not just this big event, that self-care is really about learning how to use little tiny moments throughout the day to resettle yourself and center yourself. Um, I'm a big fan of mindfulness and I know that's a buzzword now, which kind Kind of annoys me because some of us were using it before it was a buzzword but I like that people are embracing that and that you can take you know one to two minutes to recenter and ground yourself and that's self-care all in of itself so I think just looking at it in a different way instead of okay I've got to take this whole day to take care of myself you're going to take care of yourself all throughout the day instead 
Anybody else have one they want to throw out? I know exercise is huge for me. Like getting out and walking and just being in nature is, is huge just to get away from any kind of situation or just get outside and just enjoy. I was going to add a layer of this, which I think people don't really understand until they start doing some more of the work is self-acceptance. So self-acceptance is the beginning of what we're doing here, where we're all just coming to the table imperfectly with our issues, just saying like, I accept all of who I am and it's all okay. Because I think what people are doing is coming up with that self-judgment on why am I feeling anxious right now? And this is what's going on. And we think that nobody else is feeling this. And then we start judging it instead of taking care of ourselves. So just simply going, I'm feeling anxious right now what would make me feel better and then do that versus going, I'm feeling anxious right now. I'm there's something wrong with me. What's wrong with me? I have anxiety. And then you go down this whole anxious spiral. So, and that was happening with me today where I was like, Oh my gosh, I just need to go for a walk and it's all okay. And just learning to take care of yourself in that way. Yeah. We have a comment from Susan saying walking and devotional reading is what she does for self care. Girls, do you have anything you want to add? Um, I guess going off what Cammie said, um, unknowingly, I start to fixate on things. And so I'll start to like be hyper aware of like, this is what I have to do today. This is what I need to do. And then I just start going crazy. And then once I start realizing like, hey, I'm acting a little silly. This is not the end of the world. I take a step back reassess what I have to do for the day and then whether or not I have time to do other things that could benefit me more. And I'm always like, okay with like taking a break too. I'm like, okay, this, this can wait because I'm not going to give my full effort if I'm panicking or anxious over something. So yeah. assessment of how you are feeling is really important. And it's definitely the first thing you should notice. You start to get into that realm. That's the psychology major in college right there. That's, that was her psychology degree at work there. <laughs> Michaela, do you have anything to share? Um, I noticed it myself sometimes um, I just do too much work and my body, for some reason, it doesn't process stress well. So it manifests in other things like I have really bad stress, eczema, I have really bad stress acne. I get really bad stomach aches. So my mind doesn't know when I'm stressed. So my body like feeds it out in those ways. And I'm like, oh, wow, I have acne and I never get acne. And I'm like, oh, that must mean I'm stressed. So I just try to figure out ways to implement things I like and things that make me stressed. So like if I have to do homework and like blueprints and everything, I decide to go to Starbucks and like treat myself to a cup of coffee or something like that. Now, I have a question to ask because it seems like all of us have anxiety. Is anxiety something that is learned or is anxiety something that is passed down from generation to generation? It is both. Um, it can be genetic. 
Um, if you come, my family history is extremely strong in all kinds of mental health disorders. Abnormal psychology was an acing class for me because I knew a family member that had everything in the DSM. Um, so it can definitely be genetic and passed down, but it can also be learned. Um, I work a lot with young mothers and with infants and toddlers. And if we're not careful, we as mothers can create very anxious environments um, for our children. So the short answer to that, Melissa, is it can be both. Because I feel like all three of my girls, plus myself, we suffer from a lot of anxiety. So I'm wondering if that's something that I passed down onto them. And is that something as a fault as a mom that I could have done differently? I mean, likely it's probably that there's just a lot of family genetics that come into play. Um, but, you know, we are shaped by our environment. But I think as moms, we beat ourselves up enough. So we're going to give ourselves a pass on this one, Melissa. We didn't do that one. Okay, I like that. <laughs> Now, why do you think there's such a stigma about talking about mental health? Why do you think it is that society, everybody wants to hush hush and it, something has to be wrong. Like you have to be crazier in the mental hospital to, for something to not be right with you mental health. And it's not true. I think that's historically it go back and look at history. Um, we're really just coming into a time where it's not you. We, we know how to do better. We know how to treat better. We know how to we know that these things are physically based sometimes. And so we're starting to see that that parity between the physical health connection and the mental health connection. We separated these things out for too long into boxes. You know, oh, it's physical health. Oh, it's mental. Well, you can't take your brain off of your body. Everything's connected together. We're mind, body and spirit. And I think the more we as a society are coming to embrace that, that's helping to um, shatter that stigma and allow for this to be the same as if you have diabetes, you know? Yeah. Well, why do you think it doesn't get treated, though? Anybody throwing out for anybody? Why? I, I work with a lot of males and typically they don't want to seek professional help in terms of therapy or talking about your feelings. So if it's that type of person, or maybe it's somebody from the Northeast, like I'm from, right? Like keep it within your family or don't share your stuff. I think it depends on how you grew up. And if mental health is a thing that's acceptable in your community and your peer group and your family, and there are still generations that are passing it down and saying it's not okay. Um, so now the men that I am working with, I tell them like, this is really great, like that it's starting to open up this conversation for mental health and they're going deep into their thoughts and feelings and something different that they've never done because it's never been nurtured as a society. And I'm, I'm kind of speaking specifically about men in this situation, but that's what came up for me. No, but Cami, that's a valid point. And I think to piggyback on that, if you, and especially given the clientele that you shared that you work with, no one, for some reason, you know, if I get a physical ailment, if I were to get cancer, I don't see that as a failure. But if I have depression or anxiety, that must be something I did or I'm a failure at something. And so I think often folks do not seek treatment if because it feels like a personal failure or I can just pull myself up out of this. Why can't I just get over it? Um, and that's where the whole biochemical piece comes in to back up some things um, for that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what do you think? Honestly, I'm scrolling some stats along the bottom, but a lot of people suffer from depression and it seems like there's more and more you hear about more and more. Do you think it's because it's becoming more normalized in society that people are like, 
oh, we have depression? Or do you think it's because people are just seeking treatment? Anybody's opinion on that? So I think depression um, is something a lot of people confuse with sadness. And um, I mean, there are a lot of people depressed, and but I just also feel like there's a lot of people who are just sad. So I think there's some misdiagnosis there, but. That is an excellent point, young lady. Um, and one of the things that I like to say when I explore when people come in and they, they will often use that sentence, I'm so depressed. And so one of the things we do is we flesh out in the work, what is the real feeling word that you need to put in that sentence? Often it might still be depression, but a lot of times it comes up to be lonely. I'm lonely or something else. And so there are certainly uh, clinical chemical depressions. I mean, I've had folks come in who have everything going right in their life, but they can't get out of bed and function. And that's a chemical situation. Then you have folks who have situational depression. Maybe they've lost a loved one or they've lost a job or life is just not going in that. It's just hard right now. But then there are people who come in that it, to your point, uh, Michaela, it is some other feeling word besides depression, which is that is great to label as well, because then you can walk out what you need to do next. And often that may be working with someone like Cami to achieve where you want to go in life versus necessarily a mental health professional. Now, Cami made an important point before we started is to we need to deviate between or kind of tell you what a life coach is and what a mental health professional is. So Cami, do you want to take that one? Sure. And I love this because I had um, a friend who is both a therapist and a life coach. And I actually asked him to write a guest blog post for me to say, do you need a counselor? Or do you need a life coach? And the, the summary that he gave was essentially to seek out a mental health professional, you are you are functioning below baseline. So you are the day to day is like very hard, very challenging. You're not ready to go to your next level. And so a life coach is going to take you from baseline, like your average everyday life, or you're just kind of happy, just your averageness is going to take you to your next level. You want to achieve your next goal. Um, and I'd like to invite Melissa to add on that as well. But I, I also work with people who have a therapist that they're working with on something else. So maybe it is they're going through some childhood stuff, they're, they're digging deep into some of the traumas that they've had, and they'll hire me for a specific other area of their life. Because you can be doing really well in one area and not so well in another area. And that's part of life too. And since I work with perfectionists, it's like they want everything to be 110% all the time, which is not an attainable goal. So sometimes it's just, let's reset what we're looking at as success and just start to change the way that we view success. Um, but Melissa, I'd love for you to follow up on that as well. It's hard to follow up on that. That was pretty thorough, but um, I agree. And I'll use myself as an example because we are here to talk about mental wellness and mental health. And I think there's a lot of misconception that those of us that sit in the therapy chair have no mental health issues. And I've been, a lot of my blogging and a lot of my journey in speaking has to do with sharing about my family history and my personal experiences. I had postpartum depression. I still struggle with depression and anxiety. I see my own therapist. Um, I take my own medication. I even actually had a friend one time that said, well, you wouldn't want people to know that because then they won't come to you. And I'm like, well, actually, I think that makes my work stronger and more valid because I really know what it's like when you can't function and you can't do the day to day tasks. And so to round that back up to Cammie's point, 
as a mental health professional, you're exactly right. We're look, you're looking, your life is interrupted. Basically, these things are impairing you to where if, if, if it's a child, they're having issues functioning socially or in school. If it's an adult seeking out mental health treatment, they're looking for, you know, they're having a hard time functioning with their family unit or with work. Um, and like Cami said, they're they're there as life coaches then to raise that up. I myself work with a spiritual mentor coach for my callings, my mission work. So I have a therapist and a life coach in essence as well. So you see these things work in tandem, but you do need to make sure that you're seeking out that right professional or both. Why do you think there's such a stigma when people get diagnosed with a mental health disorder? I'm throwing that, that out to anybody. I think it's because no one really talks about it, um, which I love the Generation Z. If you fall, if you get on TikTok, they're very open about mental health, um, which gives me hope for the future because I think a lot of our feelings and how we treat um, the closed door approach to anxiety is learned from previous generations. So they're giving me hope that this is once they start having kids, we'll have like a normalized um, approach to anxiety or not anxiety, but mental health. Um, yeah, it's just the act. I think technology has helped. Social media has helped um, pull back the curtain a little bit. Um, people are more open about their lives than they were before social media was a thing. Um, and although that comes at a cost, um, I think social media is actually the root of a lot of anxiety. It's also um, a positive tool for connection and normalizing your personal experience. That's a great, that's really great, Linda. You're spot on on many of those things. I, I, sadly, society has driven some of that because on life insurance policies, I'm very careful in diagnosis about when I diagnose someone with major depressive disorder. If I get a mom coming in with postpartum depression and she does not have a history, I'm gonna be real hesitant to use that diagnosis because I don't want that to come back to bite somebody on a life insurance policy or on health insurance. These things do sometimes cause people to take caution. I don't want to stop people from that because it is much better than it used to be. Also, things like if people want to own firearms or different things, there's all kinds of legal reasons that people get scared. But then there's also judgment from your employer or your community. So until people begin to, like I said, normalize and see that as the same as we do physical health ailments, uh, it, it really still people you know, people are still going to feel hesitant about saying that because of what are going to be the ramifications? Mm -hmm. um, like I said, they are much better than they used to be. But I think if we're going to be honest about it, those are some real reasons. I wanted to add to that as well, coming from uh, I was in a relationship with somebody in special special forces for years. And I work with a lot of military community. I am a military spouse now. And in the military community, especially the special forces, they, everything gets reported and they will not be allowed to do their jobs. So I, as someone in relationship with someone in special forces was discouraged from seeking therapy, mental health, because of it could get back to that command. And then it would be this thing and his security clearance and all that stuff. Now I will also say that relationship was not good. It was, it was a covert narcissist relationship. I was exhibiting codependent behavior. So it was a gaslighting scenario, but it had some validity at the time. So, and I think that happens in that community where there is some validity, 
but it's also taken out of hand to just think that you can't do it because of the repercussions of your job or your spouse's job because of it getting reported to command. 100% Cammie. And I have, I've worked with exclusively a lot of military, but that also happens in law enforcement, paramedics. You get into a lot of career fields where they're told, oh, if you, if this happens, that they're, they're also at high risk for PTSD. But if this happens, be sure you seek help, but then they get penalized later. So it really is true. And like you said, I mean, I've had parents come to me for in various career fields and they're afraid to seek assistance for their children because what is that going to mean later? So I think as much as we're making progress, there's still some real barriers to folks receiving, uh, being open to receiving that care. I'm sorry, I was laughing. Mylon, my my grandkitty made his entrance. Helix has already made his interest and Mylon's made his interest as well. And that's another point. Animals are great for people that are great for self-care. So Mylon was right on point with that one, Maddie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now let's talk about your experiences with mental health as much as you guys want to share. Because I mean, Cammie was talking about being in a codependent relationship. Um, Melissa, you've talked about your family. Linda, I know you and I've had conversations about what it meant for you when you got your first camera. That's why I wanted you on because I remember that story and how it touched me. And that's why I wanted you on. And then Maddie and Michaela, of course, I know your stories are part of your stories, but would somebody just want to share or do you guys want to just not share? Um. The camera story. <laughs> uh, so I have a tendency and history of being attracted to emotionally unavailable people and also be very codependent. And um, I had to go into therapy and I still see that um, I'm drawn to people who are uncomfortable because I just want to make them comfortable, which is codependent <laughs> behavior. Um, people's happiness and well-being is their responsibility, but I know that um, one way for me to kind of, in a healthy way, channel that unhealthy attraction is photography. Um, so it, unless you're a model, most people feel very uncomfortable in front of the camera. And so they become emotionally unavailable. <laughs> and so I'm able to channel that, uh, unhealthy attraction to my business and my work. And after our session, after I, I, um, try to make your needs above my own during our hour session photo shoot, then I get to go home and I don't have to marry you. And it's wonderful. <laughs> So it's my way to, it's the reason I was able to, to kind of come to the solution is first going and seeking help, identifying that behavior so I can see um, why I'm acting a certain way with a certain person um, and then finding a way where it's really hard to change your, your personality. So maybe you can channel it in a way where it's a healthy, um, where there's parameters. So for me, it's a healthy parameter for me to put my client first during our an hour um, session together. Whereas it's not healthy to have that same kind of behavior in a romantic relationship um, long term. So that's my way of of kind of tweaking my life to accommodate my shortcomings. 
Well, for me, it was probably um, destined in the cards before I was born to be a therapist, even though this is not anything I ever wanted to do. And I've tried to get out of it like the mafia for the last like 10 years and it keeps sucking me back in in deeper ways. Um, so but I was my my father's mother was a paranoid schizophrenic and I stayed with her um, all throughout my birth to five years. Um, she talked to dead people every day. And I thought everybody's grandma talked to dead people. I didn't know that this was a problem. And so from a young age, this was just how life was. My mother was bipolar. My grandmother was bipolar. Her brother was bipolar. So this was just life. People going in and out of the hospital for depression and mental illness, people attempting suicide. This was not a shocking event for me like it is when I talk to other people. So um, and then move into my life and my own struggles with anxiety and depression. And my daughters also struggle with those things and seek treatment. So in my world, this is like talking about chocolate milk and cake and life because mental health is just a part of everything. So that's why I'm passionate about not just as a professional, but as a person that we have these conversations. Anybody else, Maddie? Yeah, so um, from the years about 2014 to 2018, when I was in undergraduate, um, I kind of isolated myself. I didn't have any friends and I told myself that I was comfortable with it. Um, I, if it wasn't for Michaela and Katya, I probably wouldn't have talked to anyone those entire four years. Um, and I didn't realize what I was missing in like my social defects or deficits rather until I started this graduate program out here in California, being in a place I'd never been before, kind of putting myself in an uncomfortable position, but surrounded by people that were similar to me and had the same interests as I did. And it wasn't until recently I actually like sought help because I, you know, I started to notice like even though I wasn't, I guess, isolated anymore physically, I could notice other things starting to manifest um, in other aspects of my life. Like I was uh, hyper vigilant. I couldn't sleep because I just couldn't stop thinking. My constant to do list was running through my head and. I try to find other ways that I could control my life a little bit more um, when I couldn't control my thoughts and feelings as well. So I kind of like took the lab manager job. So now I'm like in charge of like everything in lab and where everything goes on the shelves and all the labeling and everything. So I try to like organize my physical space so that I know that my mental space can follow suit behind it. Michaela. Yeah. Um, so at a very young age in first grade, I was diagnosed with ADHD and I was taking medication through middle school. And if like you guys aren't familiar with um, the medication that they put on, that they put you on for ADHD, um, it basically just drains you of your personality. Um, you're just like a walking zombie just to try to concentrate on school and everything. So when I finally quit um, taking the medication, it was really hard for me to find myself. And I was 
pretty much sad all the time and I thought it was normal, but it's not normal. So when I got to college, um, I, I went through some really rough experiences. This past year, I actually started a relationship with somebody who had a mental illness, which is something I've never done before. I've always dated people who um, don't have mental illnesses and I'm not a very emotional person. Person, I never really like show my emotions. I barely ever cry or anything. And this past year has been like a complete roller coaster because being with somebody with depression is really hard because you can't like define whether or not it's their depression or your depression. And it was it was a gaslighting situation too. And I'm glad that I was able to leave and like become stronger from it. But this past month, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And it was really scary. Um, I got the diagnosis a few weeks ago and I just cried and my friends had to come over and take care of me. I couldn't do anything. I was so scared. And um, but I'm glad that I got the the diagnosis because they put me on medication and I feel good now. Like it it's scary knowing that like you have a disorder everyone labels as crazy, but at the same time this medication In really more ways than one, life. Michaela. And thank you, Michaela, for being open with your story. And I think that you bring up a really great point about, I think we go back to that stigma thing. And I think that people think if I get that diagnosis or if I take that medication, then my life that I dreamed of, as we talk about Cami and life coaching and what your dreams are going to be, that my life is going to look dramatically different. My mother was an intensive care cardiac nurse and she was brilliant and she had the bipolar disorder and she she worked a great job and a great life so she was a great mom so i think you know especially when we talk about moms and and mental health disorders people get afraid they won't be able to keep their children or raise their children but when you're properly diagnosed and you receive the proper treatment you're going to optimize your life and you're going to be able to get to the best place that you can um so you bring you know you bring up such a great point about getting that accurate diagnosis and the proper treatment whatever that treatment plan looks like i think she muted herself before she finished her sentence Alyssa. Oops. You it'll be yourself. the first time in my life that I've muted myself. <laughs> I was just saying it, it's just making sure that you get that right diagnosis and don't be afraid just like you would for your physical health. If you don't agree with one practitioner, I tell folks, if you don't like what I've come up with, please, by all means, get a second opinion. That does not offend me because I want the best treatment for my client. Um, so, you know, just making sure you get the right right diagnosis and the right treatment plan, you can optimize your life. I wanted to add to that because I was, I was like inspired in that moment too of, it's the story that we tell ourselves about what mental health means. And basically the way Melissa said it was, you, you're fearing that you're losing something, you're losing out on your dream life, you're losing out on relationships. And that's the story that's keeping you stuck without a diagnosis, without support, without help, that's going to take you to the next level. And the thing that's been coming up in my head this whole conversation we've had is the Brene Brown on, I think it's on Netflix, I forget what it's called, but it's all about bringing shame into the light. And Brene Brown's work is amazing. And just the fact that we have that type of documentaries on a place like Netflix, it also has a bunch of other stuff, is showing that we are now becoming more courageous 
to have these conversations. And it starts with everybody on this call leading the charge and in our communities leading these conversations and making it be okay. Um, but when you, ex you know, shame can only survive whenever it's hidden. And that's one of the biggest things with Brene Brown. So if anybody's watching and hasn't seen anything by her, start there if you need the courage to change your story around what seeking mental health or support is going to do for you. Because you're seeing right here on this call that everybody who sought help got it and is now living a better life because of it. And and Cami, that just, I don't even know why, but we, we've not discussed cultural bias related to people seeking treatment. And I would definitely love to hear that from Maddie and Michaela with their cultural background, if that played into them seeking treatment. But, you know, you brought up early, Cami, about people being from the North and not talking about that. You know, there's that big, I used to love designing women. These young girls don't know what that show is. But, um, you know, Julia Sugarbaker used to say, you know, we don't ask in the South if you have crazy people in your family. We just bring them right out on the front porch and parade them around. So there really are cultural differences depending on what people say. I work in Kenya, Guatemala doing mission work. The stigma in developing nations for mental illness is really challenging at times. So I'd, I'd love to hear the girls talk about, did you have any cultural things that played into you seeking treatment? And Linda as well. Linda, yes, you as well. So the, the Asian community, especially the older generation, we do not like, I say we even though I'm not in that generation, but they do not like talking about feelings. Um, their approach to all family dysfunction is to not talk about it or cut people out or just work. And to talk about your, um, especially family dysfunction, um, it, it's, it's almost like a betrayal to the family. It's like you're airing dirty laundry. You don't have um, pride, family pride. You don't have family loyalty. So that was definitely something that I had to work with with my um, my parents. My dad's recently passed, but um, when I started to seek therapy, therapy help, like um, just seeking, I would tell them, and they would always discourage me from going because I think my dad would say, um, that would just make you crazier. <laughs> Like just just learning about it will just drive you mad, and that was always his um, his approach. And sometimes I'll come back from therapy, and he'll ask me, "Hey, did the therapist agree with me?" Like, <laughs> and I, you know, honestly and jokingly tell him that no, a lot of my issues stem from you, mom and dad. And then he'd stop asking me about therapy. But that is basically the culture. Um, again, it's changing. The more um, the more westernized. Um, Amer Asian Americans are becoming. Um, so I don't see that. I see that a lot with my peers. I'm um, in my mid thirties. A lot of my Asian friends in the mid thirties, they are uh, very weirded out by my relationship with my parents because we are very affectionate and verbal. And that took a lot of work on my end because I had to actually coach them to be verbally affectionate, um, to talk about their feelings. So they're gotten a lot better. My mom, has continued to kind of blow me away with her willingness to talk about her grief. And it wasn't always like that. And it's definitely a cultural thing for sure. Yeah, so um, similar to what Linda was saying, when it comes to talking to my dad, who is uh, Mexican American, <laughs> I 
he lives in America and he loves America. So he's like, American. And he, it took a while for him to understand. And I still think he fully grasped what it's like to um, suffer from a mental illness. Although I could argue that um, I feel like every one of us has a little bit of something wrong with them. No one's perfect. Um, but I don't really associate too much with uh, my dad's side of the family. And so just going off of my early experiences with my father when I was old enough to start communicating and realize that, you know, hey, something doesn't feel right. It's not physical, but I just I still feel sick. You know, he would always be like, just don't be sad. It'll get better. Like, just, just be happy. It's not that hard. And it's like, but I don't know how. What is crying going to do to You have to. <laughs> Yes, what is crying going to do to help the situation? And he's not wrong, but it's not its not a healthy approach. So I think he understands that now. I mean, there's one thing that I have done with the girls that I didn't have with my mom is we have an open and honest conversation. And don't we girls, we pretty much, we have cry fest when all of them are home. I mean, literally we hash out a lot of stuff, right, Michaela? I mean, last it's not supposed to happen but yeah it always does it always ends up happening we have these deep heartfelt conversations that i i didn't have growing up so that makes a difference that's something i'm passing on to them to know that they can come out and they can talk about stuff because i didn't have that outlet and i look at it now and thinking maybe that's why i had that anxiety and i had that fear of being judged for so long by so many people because i couldn't voice my opinion or I couldn't talk about how I was feeling. So I wanted to make sure that the girls knew they were okay talking about their feelings, even though, like I say, I make them cry. They make me cry. And we've learned that we love each other at the end, but still those conversations, honest and open conversations are very important. You agree, Michaela? Yeah. Um, going up what Maddie's bed, talking to our father has been, kind of hard. I've been in and out of therapy since I was little because I had anger issues and everything. Um, but when I told him that I had the diagnosis of depression, he didn't understand. And I'm like, this isn't coming from nowhere. I've literally been in and out of therapy my whole life. So you shouldn't be that surprised. But um, he's just like, you're sad. Why are you sad? You have a good job. You get paid well, like you're living on your own. Like, you're out here like living the dream and I'm like that it's not it's not that and I remember um calling Maddie one day and telling her like I'm sorry for being sad all the time and she's like Michaela it's not your fault your brain won't let you be happy and I remember that all the time because it's it's not me like I don't choose to be sad and I think my mental illness has brought my family closer because they are very accepting I'm part of the um LGBTQ community and um, coming out to my parents, they have really accepted me a lot. And because it's just like, I have um, a past of suicide attempts. So my family is very accepting of everything I do now because they'd rather me be here than not be here. Yep, that's so true. Michaela, you're making, both you girls are making me so proud right now, but Michaela, you're making me cry. See, he told you cry fest. <laughs> Now, we did have a comment um, from Courtney. Courtney was actually on last week. She, 
her dad, um, she talked about being the survivor of a suicide. Her dad ended up killing himself about 17, 18 years ago when she had her first child. So Courtney has a question. She says, I have a friend in a situation where a loved one is having a mental break, but cannot see that they're in the middle of an episode and refuses to get help. What can she do to help herself and protect her own mental health? So anybody want to take that one? I guess I'm going to be on the hot seat for that one. <laughs> Nobody wants to touch that one. Um, I think, you know, and this can be one of the frustrating things when you are uh, in a relationship or with a family member that that has a mental illness and you are, are the caregiver or supporter or somehow connected in that relationship. Um, so I think that if you as an individual have assisted them to get the help that they need, it's ultimately up to that individual. And if they are not willing to take those steps, you have to step back from that. And as the child of a parent who attempted suicide multiple times, um, and my heart goes out to Courtney and I personally know her, so I'm sorry to hear that. But you have to get to a place where you say, I've helped you to the water, but I can't drink the water for you. Um, and you have to free yourself from that. So if once a person has done everything they know to do, they have to protect their own mental well-being. Self, Self-preservation is extremely important, particularly if you are in a situation where you can't be out of relationship with that person and then drawing healthy boundaries um, because that can become toxic for you as well. I hope that answers. There goes Helix. <laughs> I want to add on that right quick. Um, there's like this saying that goes, you may not need therapy, but the people in your life need therapy and refuse to go. So that's why you go to therapy. Right, right. I love that. I love that, Michaela. And, and Melissa, I want to add one thing to the cultural thing as well. Um, because I am, in addition to uh, being a clinical counselor, I'm also licensed as a pastoral counselor. So I can offer Christian-based counseling as well. And religion can play a huge point into whether people seek mental health uh, assistance. And that can be played out by the denomination or by the, by the family structure that you were raised in with religion. You know, one of the reasons I actually saw extra training in that was to go toe-to-toe with some pastors and debunk some of these myths. Now there are wonderful pastors out there who, who will refer people to mental health counseling and they say, this is not spiritual. This is something else. Um, but sadly over the years, many people have been told you're not praying hard enough. You're not reading the right scripture. Someone in your family clearly sinned way back when, and you're being cursed now for this. And those things have stopped people from seeking appropriate treatment. I've had clients come in that have gone off of medication because they've been guilted by someone in a religious community, even parishioners in their own congregation. So I think we as a religious community, for those of us that practice a faith, we have to be very adamant about speaking boldly about mental health in the church so that people feel comfortable and okay uh, my grandmother and mother were some of the most faith-filled people ever, and their mental illness was not a lack of faith at all. Um, so I think that's got to be a part of that cultural piece as well. I want to add to that as well, because I come from the Christian community, and what I've seen is 
people won't seek alternative therapies like energy healing because they're afraid of it not being within their or religion. Yoga. And since, yes, yoga, meditation, hypnosis, you know, Reiki, all of these things that I believe everybody has their own individual identity in terms of which one they want to pursue. But throughout my coaching and my own personal use of these methodologies, I did the same thing. I would cry into my Bible for seven years and I would just like get up and cry into my Bible and get up and cry into my Bible. My morning routine looks a lot differently now. And it has a lot of these different energy practices because I started stepping away from this is how you do it. You just read the Bible. You just read scripture and repeat the same prayers over and over again. So I also wanted to encourage people to start seeking their own form of healing independent of what your church or your mom or your dad or your grandma says, and you're going to find what's right for you. Because when I was first seeking hypnosis, one of my Christian friends like, don't do that. That's from the devil. And I was like, something in my heart was like, I don't think that's true. But so like, but I felt convicted, right? Because somebody that you love that, you know, is also shares your faith. You're like, am I wrong? But luckily, I listened to my intuition, I listened to my gut, and I was like, I want to keep pursuing these things. And so that's brought a lot of my healing, and it wasn't necessarily through the Christian church. And I want to publicly say that because I think a lot of people will say that, like, Jesus heals everything. Well, there's also doctors. Like, there's, there's a reason why we have doctors. There's a reason why we have pharmacists as well. Um, there's a reason why we have alternative medicine, energy healing, all of these things, even before doctors. So thinking outside the box and knowing that there is a solution and the things that people tell you are not necessarily true and be an advocate for your own health and healing and, and keep going. Well, I think that goes back to the point that we are mind, body, and spirit. So yes, your spiritual practices are important and they're a part of that. But also, you know, I tell when I used to talk to pastors about it, I was like, would you tell somebody not to take their insulin shot and just get to the prayer rail and start praying for their blood sugar to drop down? Never, ever are we going to do that. So I think we've got to look at this very full circle. And like you said, seeking your own truth. If you're if you have a prayer life then you pray about that, how do you feel about it? Cammie, you obviously felt some conviction that that didn't feel right to you, even though your friend was very much against that. So I think um, just looking at where where do we bring all these pieces of the puzzle together, because that's when we're going to have ultimately the best healing. We actually have a comment um, from Susan. It says the Christian comedian Chandra Pierce battles mental illness and has a wonderful book about just this thing. I mean, see, they're awesome. And then also Lisa says an insulin analogy is powerful because that is very powerful. So, Cammie, you brought up a point about alternative therapies. Let's talk about that because I know that's what really what Michaela to begin with when she started this, wanted me to do this panel was about alternative therapies and then it kind of morphed into something else over the last month. But let's talk about uh, some alternatives. So this could get really woo woo really quickly. So I'm just going to preface it with that. So if you're not into the woo, -woo this might not be for you. Um, but I too have a science background. I have a degree in molecular cell biology. I've studied the brain for 15 years because I was that nerd in high school that wanted to learn about neurogenesis, right? Whenever we used to think that we couldn't grow new brain cells and we find out that we can. And there is this whole study called epigenetics that talks about what we believe can actually make changes in our body. And so 
It's phenomenal. I have a couple books I want to recommend. Uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza is a chiropractor who leads a lot of different um, meditation groups for people who have severe illnesses, and they use the power of meditation and belief to essentially heal themselves, which is very similar to the power of prayer. Like if you actually believe that you're going to get better, you will. If you don't, you won't. It's the same thing as the placebo effect. They can give you a pill and it can be a sugar pill, but if you believe it's going to work, it will work for you. So the book is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Dr. Joe Dispenza. He also has a book called The Placebo Effect. So if you're just interested in opening your mind to that, that could be a really good modality to start going down. And it also goes into the realm of quantum physics, of energy, of vibration. There's frequency healing devices out there. Um, but specifically like the very easy, like energy modalities that people can get into, uh, Reiki, which is like energy healing with the hands. It's kind of like, I, I experience it, I'm getting certified in it, but I've also experienced it. It's kind of like meditating and someone's facilitating the energy blocks to, to move through you. Um, there's another one called EFT or tapping, mm -hmm. and it has been proven to release stress. I know, Melissa, you've done that with me. There's basic meditation. I find meditation is kind of hard if you're not used to sitting with your feelings. So that may not be the best beginner one. Uh, EFT, tapping, you can find YouTube videos on that is a very great one. Um, meditation, yoga, um, there's another, there's a local community here. They have this, this uh, it's called Kirtan Bliss Band. And it's just like chanting and singing. And so, and it actually raises your vibration, which is why like Buddhists will do the chanting because it actually raises your vibration and your energy. So those are just a few pieces. And if you wanna like go down the rabbit hole of energy and quantum physics, I found that really helpful because I'm, I have a science brain and a science mind. And when I start hearing the stories and seeing what people were able to do through the power of belief, that's when I started to go, okay, this is a real thing. And, and there's been studies shown that, just read the book. I don't want to go into it, but read, read, the, read the, um, the, you are the placebo. And you'll get to hear about these studies and the power of belief. If you believe you can get well, you can get well. Michaela, did you want to add anything? Um, well, I manifest a lot. Um, I know a lot of people are kind of like weird on manifestation and all that, but I manifest every morning. Um, I manifest my depression for like my depression going away for like five years and it just didn't work. So I finally got on medication. But I do a lot of meditation too, as well. I did a meditation before this um, this live, so it really helps. But again, it I guess it just depends on the person and well, spirit. Well, and part of this is with it. you are manifesting your depression to go away. Medication is a piece of that, so it doesn't mean independent of right. It means you found the doctor that was the right doctor that prescribed the right medication that is still putting you on your path. So it's not to say that you don't need medication, right? Just like we're talking about insulin. There are people who can potentially change their diet, lifestyle beliefs and start to get healthier and they st might still need medication. So I don't want people to do the whole, just pray it away or just believe it away and go out there and your leg is cut off and you're like, I'm just gonna believe that it's gonna grow back because it's not that simple. But the power of believing in the modalities that you're using is important because some people will take medication 
and still be depressed because they just believe they're a depressed person. So it goes hand in hand. If you believe the medication won't work, it won't work. If you believe it will work, it will work. There's a lot of people that are just committed to the identity. On the flip side, we said that there is a stigma around it, but there are some people that gain their identity from being the person with the problem. I don't think that's anybody here because we're all talking about it openly, but we gain a lot of love and connection from having certain identities. And you can see this with people who, like we talked about, who won't seek the help because that's just who they want to continue being and that's just okay with them. They don't see it as something that needs help. And Kami, to piggyback on that, I think you bring up an excellent point. And when you hear the word alternative medicine, people think, okay, I, I've got to not seek traditional treatment and I have to go to alternative or I don't want to do alternative, so I'm only traditional. And when we can get, I also have a training in public health. And when we can get practitioners and we can get people on the same page to say, okay, it's kind of like if I go to a buffet, right? I'm not going to just take from this one thing. I'm going to try a little bit of everything. So what does it take? And to Michaela's point, it's, it's what works for each individual person. If we're good at what any of us do that are professionals on here, every treatment plan or every goal sheet we make for a person should look entirely different. It might have some of the same main ingredients, but it's going to be very um specific to that. So I think people opening up their mind to let's let's blur this line between, well, I can only do this and I can only do this, the all or nothing thinking until we get to a place where, um, oh, that's not alternative. That's just standard of care. Linda, do you have anything to add as far as the Asian community with the alternative medicines? Not alternative theory. Um, actually, <laughs> My mom really loves, or she doesn't do it anymore because she can't drive and is limited to where she can walk. But growing up, she's really into the Eastern medicine. I am not a good uh, recipient of that. I don't believe in it. I just have a hard time just dis uh, suspending disbelief. But um, she feels very strongly about it. Her dad, my grandfather, whom I've never met, um, he passed away before I could get over to Vietnam, but he was a uh, local celebrity uh, for those weird things that you boil and make teas out of. <laughs> I'm so glad she can't see me right now because she'd be like, that's not what he did. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, so I, um, it's, I, I feel like it, um, Eastern medicine is similar to how I feel about religion. I don't discount it. I just have a hard time personally connecting. Um, so if I don't think that anyone who uh, subscribes to it is is wrong or or I just, it's just hasn't landed um, for me. But I do know that it's a huge deal. Um, a lot of my Asian friends, they um, internalize some of their parents' approach to Eastern medicine. So a good friend of mine, Janet, she, she does similar um, approaches to some foods are considered hot foods and some foods are considered cool foods. So she will do the same thing my mom would do. And she'd be like, don't eat that. That's a warming food. And to me, I'm just like, it's just food. <laughs> um, but yes, I'm sorry. I don't have um, a strong stance on Eastern medicine. I'm not, I'm not a very good spokesperson for that. 
What? But actually, that goes to Melissa's point where everybody's care and everybody's treatment is different. Every it's got to be what works for you. I mean, some it may not work for some people, but if you believe in it, it will work. You know, it just right, Maddie. Yeah, care is definitely have to be personalized, and it's trial and error too, because professionals don't. They don't know you. They don't know exactly what's going on. So they try out these things that may work or may not work. And just a lot of patience. Eventually, you'll find something that helps you. Michaela, is there anything else that you tried? Yeah, um, I just wanted to add a funny point. Before I got on this live, I was on FaceTime with Gracie. Um, and I was showing her how I was. I put my healing crystals on the window seal to charge them. And she was just laughing at me. But I mean, that's something that I, I believe in, so. Yeah. I, I use crystals too, obviously. Like I'm the, I have this big selenite over here. So, um, but again, if you, like, if it was Linda, I'm just saying, like, if she didn't believe in them, they wouldn't do anything. Cause she would just be like, what is this dumb rock doing sitting here? And it would probably make her angry. Like, so it wouldn't help. I have crystals, right? but I don't use them the way. I'm just like, <laughs> maybe they'll help me if I just put them over here, but I <laughs> don't do anything. Like I don't charge them or hold yeah. them or anything like that. But yes, I um, don't discount it for other people. But um, so it's, it's kind of weird because I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle where it doesn't make me angry to the point where I do have a few crystals that um, some of my crystal totem friends have recommended to me, <laughs> but I'm just not a, uh, a full on believer. So, yeah. and then there's like the crazy crystal people that are like, put crystal in water and drink it <laughs> because my husband thinks I'm crazy. Cause I'm like, just put it on a vision board and do a crystal. It'll be fine. And he's like, and he's an actual medical professional. He's like, I think people need to get surgery if their leg falls off. I'm like, they can just believe it back. So we joke about that sometimes, make light of it. So there is a purpose in having both sides of it. It's not one or the other. And then we have a comment from Susan, essential oil. She's an essential oil person. And that definitely can help mood. I know it's helped me focus a lot. Like if I'm all over the place in the log cabin, I'll put the diffuser on and put an essential oil on in. Focus and clarity comes quickly. So does anybody have anything they want to add before we wrap up? Kind of your take on what you've learned, if you learned anything during this panel, because honestly, I've learned some stuff. Melissa, I just want to make one comment. If people who are watching have never sought mental health treatment, or maybe they did and they had a bad experience. Therapists are a lot like your hairdresser, okay? I've had the same hair lady for 20 years. And when she retires, I don't know what I'm gonna do because it's gonna freak me out the first time I get in somebody else's hair chair, okay? You gotta know what you're doing, okay? But so therapists, it's a lot like that. When you come in, there has to be a connection and you have to, to sense that with that person. But also, you know, I find the longer I work, the slower I am to make a diagnosis and to make recommendations because I've learned to really let that person flesh out who they are and what's going on. So my point of this in short here is if you've had a bad experience or you have not been, don't stop after that one time. 
try someone else, try it a different way um, because you'll find that person that you connect with or it's just a better experience. I have had so many people come in my office that have had such horrible negative experiences and it's embarrassing in my profession, but don't give up. Try someone else um, if you've had a bad experience or that's your first time and it didn't go well. We have a comment real quick. Lisa says, I think what we fuel our minds and bodies with is so integral too. And it's true. So anybody else have anything else they want to wrap up with? I think just being educated is really important, not only for yourself, but for the people around you. Um, you should have the suicide hotline stored in your phone. You never know if you might need it or someone close to you will need it. Um, and it's just important for yourself and for others as well that are really close to you. Be patient. And I mean, honestly, that's just probably the most important thing because it's, it's tough dealing with something that's wrong with yourself. And then it's, it may seem annoying when somebody close to you is also experiencing hardship as well, but patience and education for sure. Look out, look out for those resources, help those around you and yourself at the same time. Maddie, you actually reminded me to put it up there because I had taken the suicide prevention lifeline and put it on there so I could scroll it across the bottom. So it's scrolling. It's 1-800-273-8255. And also understand that if you go online, there's a chat option online that you can chat online with people because I had a friend of mine that actually chatted online to someone um, when she was going through a really rough time and it's, it made the world of difference for her. Kimmy. And Melissa, here in, yeah, here in North Carolina, if people want to just Google on their phone mobile crisis, every catchment region for our area has a mobile crisis team that can be deployed within an hour or two to your home. They can just, it, it doesn't mean that you're going to go anywhere, anything's going to happen. It's just a, a person to assess what's going on. And that's one number I encourage all families to store in their phone. I make sure all my teenagers have that in their phone and anyone else that has kids should have them store that number in their phone. So um, mobile crisis, they can look it up and uh, just Google it in North Carolina. That's all I can, I only know about North Carolina. Sorry, folks, not licensed in other places. <laughs> it's also really important to note that if you're in a crisis like that, that you can literally call anyone. Because I remember one time I was on the suicide hotline and I was on hold for two hours. So um, I know there's a lot of people going through this stuff and it's not their fault, but don't ever feel afraid to like reach out to like your family members or your friends because they're there for you. Mm -hmm. That's a great, that was, that, that's what I was going to wrap up with is this time isolation and disconnection creates a lot of this even more and intensifies it because we think we're alone and it, we're, we're like alone with our thoughts. So staying connected, like on a consistent basis, like calling your mom, calling your friend, like checking in daily. That's so important, especially now because we don't get our normal social outings like we used to get. So a lot of times people may be declining over time whenever, as you stay connected to people, just having simple conversation, that starts to help with some of the loneliness, some of maybe starting to feel depressed. So noticing it before it gets so bad to where you can't do anything. And that starts with 
putting healthy routines in place now and back into March, if we could have, right? Um, and if anybody is in a spot right now where you don't have those healthy routines in place, like do it now, just do it now. Even if you're so down, you can shoot a text, you can shoot an emoji to someone. Um, and I know when you start to get really down, you want to isolate, but that is one of the worst things. So make sure that you have a fail safe where you give people permission to check in on you in case they don't hear from you too. That's what I want to leave you guys with on something actionable that you can do um, right now today. I love the fail safe idea, even though people may push you away, don't let them push you away. You know, the ones that are really hurting because sometimes that's when they need you the most. Linda, do you have anything you want to wrap up with? Um, I do have, hopefully you can't hear my dogs chewing right now. They're eating their dinner. Um, I just want to say that this is a great conversation. Thank you so much for hosting it and sharing your stories. Um, I think we are all influencers um, with or without social media platforms um, because the people in your life, if you model good self-care, it gives them permission to model good self-care. Um, and so basically, I just really appreciate you guys um, sharing your stories and modeling that for everybody else. Guys, I really want to thank you for being on. Um, I do have to play the, the proud mom moment at the time at right now because Maddie McKellie, you're very well spoken. And Maddie, you know, I love you, but I got to give some more props to McKellie for actually coming on and being brave enough to share her story because she's gone through a lot this month and for her to actually come out and say, Hey, this is what's going on with me. And this is, this is what I'm doing about it and just sharing it and educating herself and educating others about this disorder is just amazing. And like, I'm so proud to be both your moms and so proud to be Gracie's mom, even though Gracie wasn't Gracie didn't want to get on and talk about it. She's like, nah, that one, yeah, I, I have anxiety. I have anxiety about being on. So I'm going to out her there as well but everybody i just want to thank you so much for um being on and let's see we have two comments that came through real quick um wonderful job everyone and it says yes very brave girls super proud of you both see so i hope you guys have a great rest of your days and ladies thank you again for coming on i really appreciate it thank you so much have a great evening everybody Thank you. You ladies are awesome. Thanks, everybody. It was awesome. Okay, we'll, we'll see you on the next chat from the blog cabin. Bye. Wow, guys. That conversation was explosive. I, first of all, I want to say I am a very proud mom that both my girls shared about their mental health and what they do to make themselves feel better. Michaela, the middle daughter, actually just recently got diagnosed as being bipolar. And that's something that I feel like we need to talk about more and more. And so in upcoming episode, I'm going to have a lady who has been dealing with bipolar disorder her whole life. And she's going to come on and talk about how she functions and, and things that she can, she does. Um, and how you can be a functioning person with a mental illness. You don't have to be one of these people that mental illness means you're locked up in a, a psychiatric institute. You can be a functioning person as long as you're on your meds. 
I am really impressed with Linda's take on photography as well as my daughter Maddie. Um, you may hear a little meow during this episode. My grand fur baby Mylan and Helix both Helix both made their little debut on the um, Facebook Live and YouTube. Um, that's right, guys. I also put these on Facebook Lives and YouTube. So they actually stream at the same time. I decided instead of putting up the videos later on YouTube, I would go ahead and just stream them on YouTube because it was less work for me. I mean, you're supposed to work smarter, not harder. So, thank you for being part of the Chats in the Blog Cabin podcast and family. I hope you learned a lot about this mental health from this mental health episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and to leave a rating or review. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Be blessed. And remember, keep chatting.